Ever wonder how a Comic-Con comes together? Here are two guys that know because it's what they do every day. It's the Con Men Podcast. Now for another mediocre podcast attempt, it's Greg Adams and Puff. It's the Comment Podcast, Greg Adams on this side, and Puff is over there. Hello. And I didn't even test the mic, so that was shooting in the dark there to see if that uh, the volume was going to work. Well, did it? Uh, uh, yeah, it's a little high, but I can fix that real quick. Should be good now. Test, test, test. See, we're, we're professionals. That's <laughs> that's the whole thing, is we are professional broadcasters uh, who happen to also run a Comic-Con. That's what brings us to this podcast. Uh, we help put together GeekedCon, Shreveport's Comic-Con in Shreveport, Louisiana. We are going into year number six this year, and the whole point of this podcast is to talk about what it's like to put a Comic-Con together, whether that's for uh, people who are considering putting one together, or people who are currently running one, or people who are just fans of Comic-Cons, whether it's the idea of Comic-Cons in general, or our particular show, GeekedCon. Uh, we try to cover a whole bunch of bases and and put this podcast together for those purposes. And sometimes you might even learn something that you can apply to not Comic-Con-related uh, practices. Yes, uh, because last week we did the whole thing on social media best practices, mm -hmm. uh, especially for businesses and events. It was our longest podcast in history. And today should set a record in the opposite direction. This might be our shortest podcast in history. Ooh, you say that, but I, I have a feeling it's not going to be. Well, if you plan to carry it, then <laughs> go for it. Uh, so we have a couple of things to touch on housekeeping for our show that we'll do later in, uh, in this podcast. So if you're just here for the GeekCon stuff, you can go ahead and skip way ahead. But I suggest you don't do that because we actually have some information that fans of Geekon, fans in Shreveport, will want to hear about because we're going to talk about one of our friend shows, one of our partner shows uh, that's just a little bit to the south. I don't have another topic, which is why I think this is going to be the shortest, unless you've got some kind of crazy topic you want to bring up. Well, we had a couple of requests for things people wanted us to talk about, like... Uh what was the one I just got? Oh, uh, favorite uh, comic book movie soundtrack? That was one that came in. Oh, man. Oh, God. That that would take... No, actually, you know what? That might not take time. That might be a quick and easy answer. So maybe we will do that. How quick is your answer? Do you think you'll need time to think on that? Probably, but I, I can always come up with something off the top okay. of my head. Maybe we'll talk about that after this. Uh, the first thing that we want to talk about, though, is a partner show. And I don't know if we've crossed this exact bridge. We've talked about other shows on this podcast. Uh, but I don't know if we've ever talked about why we do that. Where the, the whole idea of a rising tide floats all boats. I think we touched on it, but never really got uh, too far into it. And I don't know if there's a whole lot to really dive into outside of the fact that I think that this is more of a community than it is a competition. Well, That's not to say you can't have competition with friends, but there's I, a difference between friendly competition where you still help each other and lift each other up like the Kobe Michael type thing for basketball fans where, you know, on the court, they fiercely hated each other, but they would talk about jump shots and, you know, hey, how can I improve my game off the court? Like that's sort of the kind of relationship we have with a lot of people. And then there's just some people that don't want to be friendly and you have to kind of go to war with. But, yeah, uh, they play prison rules. Like, we're playing by the rules and we're friends about it. 
and and I mean, friends to the extent where there are a lot of people in this industry who help book talent. Mm-hmm. Who you know, if if you've got a friend who has a show and you're looking for a particular type of guest that they had, it I've been I've had a lot of people reach out from other shows and say, hey, I saw you guys had this. Who did you book him through? And those kind of conversations are super cool in this industry because there's a lot of professional courtesy. There's a lot of uh, mutual understanding when it comes to things. Uh, Then there are, again, people who just want to play prison rules. But for us, we've partnered with a handful of regional shows. Who are amazing partners, by the way. Great friends. Yes. uh, And Siphacon in Lake Charles happens to be one of those partner shows uh, that we've had a great relationship now uh, going on over a year. Uh, it's a show. The, these guys are celebrating their 10th year this year. So mm-hmm. they've been doing this for a while. We just celebrated our fifth last year. Uh, so they've been they've they've got a head start on us. Um, and and we we talked about putting a lineup together when we talked about the Huntsville uh, Comic and Pop Culture Expo a couple of weeks ago. Again, another partner show, another show that we feel really good about uh, helping out, and they help us out. Siphacon is sort of different. It's a complete, well, I don't want to say completely different animal, because uh, at the core, guests and stuff are always a part of it. But they approach things from a completely different way that uh, that is uh, sort of fascinating and fun, really. Well, we talked right before turning the mics on that like the theme that we wanted to touch on was not all Comic-Cons are created the same. Nor they should be because it's the variety that makes it fun for both fans and us just going the shows. And I know that we've talked in the past about when you're trying to set a show up, knowing what the market is, knowing what your market wants, what your market can support. And a lot of that goes into this, but there's also a way of looking at how you want the show to feel how you want the show to move, and sometimes you're not in control of that. Sometimes you, uh, for us, uh, for instance, we are still dealing internally with this question about panels. Panels are a staple of a lot of shows, but for our particular show, we're starting to run into a situation where the panels may not be as important as we think that they are. There are some shows you'll go to and the panels will be completely full. They'll be packed all the way through and there's no moving. Everybody in the room is shoulder to shoulder. They all want to see the panels. Our show is not that way, hasn't been that way. And so the question for our show moving forward is, do panels matter to our audience in the way that our show works? For another show, panels are a necessity. It is the thing people come there for. For us, it's just kind of an also happening at the same time. It's almost like we're doing it just because if you had a cookie cutter for what a Comic-Con needs to be. That's part of the recipe. Yeah, so we might be able to do it without that. But for Siphacon, they almost build a show and an atmosphere and a community out of a whole bunch of other events and their reliance on panels and guests are not as big as other shows i mean they literally could have one guest and still have people excited about the event because it's more than just a. it's not your typical convention where hey here's a lineup i want to meet these people it's a it's sort of like a i don't want to i'm trying to figure out how i want to phrase it it's more interactive than it is meeting people so with siphacon it's interesting because you have cherry auctions going on you have their after-dark activities, including mm-hmm. their pub crawls and their comedy. 
you have Sypha Kids, you have food vendors, and there's food on site, which a lot of, and, and I don't mean food on site as in uh, just concessions. Like, we have concessions because our convention center, uh, we, we have no say. Yeah, it's a contract with them, and there's a whole thing. That we, it's just not worth our time and trouble to try to open it up to other food. It's not even time and trouble. It's, we can't. It's ironclad in the contract. We can't do other food. They have to do the food. Cyphicon has the ability to not only do food, but they can do special tailored to the convention food, like the Carl, which is a huge story hmm. in and of itself. Uh, they also have huge tabletop gaming, and they have the best esports setup I've ever seen live at a convention before. It's amazing. Um, so with all of this stuff packed into it, their convention is more about this event with all of these other little event tentacles. It's more about that than it is about a huge guest lineup. That's not to say that shows with giant guest lineups are, are less important or more important. It's not to say that having all of these events as a part of your show is m super important and you have to have it. There are successful shows who don't even have vendors there was just one uh, in Texas. I don't know if you caught this one online, but they had a hundred different celebrities from uh, NFL Hall of Famers to current Marvel headliners to WWE champions all showing up at this show, and it literally was nothing but autographs and pictures. And there's shows that are the other way where there's no guests whatsoever, and it's Basically, I don't want to say a giant flea market because that makes it sound yeah, trashy, that, but it's nothing but vendors who are yeah. selling goods. And there's and there are still uh, comic book shows where it's nothing but comic books. They mm -hmm. do they don't even have writers and artists. They just have a bunch of tables with long boxes set up. And you know what? If you told me that there was a show coming to our city that was just a giant comic book only show and they didn't have artists or writers, I'd be there. <laughs> like I'm excited about that idea. Well, you know me. I, 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 if there's something regionally that I can get off to go to, I go to those things because I spend entirely too much money for an adult male on a comic books, but I enjoy it. And like for me, I came up not in the Comic Con world, uh, but I cut my teeth in the sports card show world. Uh, I started doing sports card shows as a dealer when I was 14. Uh, so I came up in that world, doing multiple shows a year, setting up, learning the setup, learning layouts, that kind of stuff, uh, simply because I was the youngest person involved. And so a lot of the promoters, they were always crazy interested that there's a basically a child, there's a young <laughs> teenager who's buying a table and setting up and wheeling and dealing at these shows. And those shows are great too. Well, most of the ones that I did never had a big celebrity. Occasionally we would have a former baseball player uh, a couple of times we had some NFL players, but for the most part, it was strictly just on the cards that drew people into those shows. Granted, those were also in hotel ballrooms and drew a couple hundred people. When we're talking about SyphaCon or GeekCon, we're talking about thousands of people. So there, there is some difference there, but no Comic-Con, no event, no expo is the same, nor should they be. Yeah, not only are they different, but... There's a market for all of them if you do them right. Really. Yeah, th and that's, yes, the the a rising tide floats all boats. Yes. If all of these events are done well and they're all working together, everyone's excited. It's a community and a culture that can raise itself up 
instead of having some folks playing prison rules and trying to tear it down. Look, if, if more people work together than against each other or trying to, I'm better than you, so I'm going to try to block you out from doing this, or I'm going to crap on your event. If it was more people like Siphacon and Huntsville and all these other places that we've worked with that are awesome, probably the industry as a whole, you wouldn't see those horror stories on like IGN all the time because it would be like, oh, this guy's in trouble. He has questions. Let us help him. Yeah, there's actually, there are quite a few stories that have been breaking over the last year or so. There are a lot of really big shows who are in really big trouble. Uh, and they don't have a lot of friends in the industry because of the ways that they've done things. And so it's not like another show is going to be there to help bail them out. Another show, the people inside another show aren't excited about helping a, a floundering show. Those shows will just end up dying. Yes, because in a lot of cases, I don't want to say all of them, but in a lot of cases, those quote-unquote giant shows that are now failing ended up getting that big because they're like, well, we got three other shows operating around our area. We're going to do everything to put them out of business. Yep. And then they overextended themselves, overextended themselves. They quote-unquote won the war. And then when it was over, oh, crap, we can't pay for our empire. Yep, that that is actually true in a lot of, uh, a lot of the markets where those guys were operating. I'm not going to say any of their names because I don't want to – I'm not trying to poke a bear here. Um, but if, if you're a fan of general Comic-Con news, you probably know who we're talking about. Uh, I want to get back to Cyphercon real quick, though, because even though we're talking about how much they have as far as their events go, they do have a stout guest lineup. Uh, so when you look at this guest lineup, you say to yourself, like, hold on, you're promoting this as – an event that is successful because it has all of these other events attached to it. Well, isn't it because it's their 10th year they've uh, expanded their lineup past where it yes, regularly is? it is their 10th anniversary, so they've gone a little bit beyond uh, what they normally would. But as somebody who just overextended on a 5th anniversary, <laughs> I can tell you that what we learned is that if you can do it, then it no longer becomes the one-time extravaganza. It becomes the bar. So, oh what, god, just look at our lineup this year. Yes, we, we've had uh, not to take away from this CypherCon conversation again, but we've quite literally uh, just in the past what eight days expanded our lineup twice, where we've had to redesign our poster. Uh, two or th is it twice? I don't remember. It might be three times. Either way, it's been uh, it's been uh, 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 we're done. We're done. No, Whoops. but the, yeah, I think on this show, I think I've even said we're done, we're done. And I will say it again, we are done because we are 100% done. Well, we've gotten to the point where we've expanded so much recently. We're like, well, we're going to have to redesign the floor because we need places to put these people. Well, we're we're already talking about redesigning the floor for a couple other reasons. So uh, I, I do want to get back to CypherCon, though, because uh, I, I really want to talk about this guest lineup and give it a little bit of time here. Uh, their headliner is Doug Jones, who is one of the most... He's an incredible actor, maybe the best actor that you don't know his face. Trying yes. to figure out a great way to say that. Yeah, because he's always uh, in a suit or under a mask or some sort of weird uh, uh, contraption that uh, conceals who he is. So, Although he does have one big uh, giant role as a uh, as him as a real human being, Hocus Pocus. Well, but is is 
Billy even a real human being? Or? Uh, more than uh, uh, Abe Sapien from Hellboy. I guess you, you do get credit on that, but uh, Billy Butcherson from Hocus Pocus was one of the first big breakout roles for Doug Jones back in 1993. He also appeared in Batman Returns as the Thin Clown, uh, those were two of his first big appearances. If you go back and if you Google right now, Batman Returns Thin Clown, you'll know the character. Oh, I remember now. I just had to think about it for a second. Uh, one of the rippers in Tank Girl, mm-hmm. Doug Jones. Uh, but it really wasn't until, uh, oh yeah, Mystery Men, Pencilhead. Loved <laughs> that one too. Uh, that was that was almost like a brief cameo, but uh, hilarious nonetheless. Abe Sapien, as you brought up, was probably his first really big... Giant role. Giant role. Uh, And then he uh, jumped into Doom as an imp. And then the one that really set him apart, the one that really started to uh, make him a wanted quantity... Or not quantity. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? In-demand actor. Right? Is that what you're going for? Yeah. Uh, the one that really set him apart and made him uh, required casting was in Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth as he played the Pale Man. Yes. That was one of those roles where it took a lot for him to get into the role. He did well in the role, and it created a, a, a niche for him. He became like, um, what's the guy's name? Uh, who was in Lord of the Rings, Gollum, does the motion capture, can't think of his name. Yeah, you got me on Started that. going out of motion capture. Andy Serkis. Mm. He basically became like the new version of Andy Serkis. Uh, went from doing some more with Hellboy as Abe Sapien uh, to getting into Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer as the Silver Surfer, uh, and has worked in lead uh, just a ton of comic book stuff. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to go through. His his resume is gigantic at this point. Well, here's the thing. I know a lot of people be like, well, he's not that big of a deal. You try emoting while wearing 40 pounds of makeup and latex, yep. and uh, you tell us how awesome he is when you're done failing him looking silly uh he is in the arrowverse as death bolt uh and he has recently uh he's recently been nominated for a saturn award for his work in star trek discovery he is now officially in the star trek universe so That's awesome. uh really really big uh get there with uh, Doug Jones for Cyphercom, but he's not the only guest. It's not like they only have one. No, they got a bunch of people that uh, are pretty exciting. I know you were pretty excited about Tim Russ. Yes, uh, and not just for the Star Trek stuff. Uh, I'm sure you're going to read his resume here in a second, but uh, there's one thing on there that tickles my fancy every time I think of it. I'm guessing it's the 1987 film Spaceballs. Absolutely. <laughs> I'd love to use his line there, but... Uh, I don't feel like going back and changing our age grade for this podcast. Uh, so, yes, Tim Russ was in Spaceballs. He was in Star Trek. Uh, and for some of the younger listeners, they may remember him as the principal from the Nickelodeon show iCarly. Uh, he was also in the uh, TV show Samantha Who. He played Frank the Doorman, uh, had like 30-some-odd episodes of that. Uh, and he's recently appeared in shows like Swamp Thing and mm-hmm. Supergirl. 
He was incredible in Swamp Thing, by the way. Uh, in addition to Tim Russ, their lineup includes Tracy Scoggins. I think I'm saying her name right. Got um, me. I, I recognize her right away. I know exactly who she is. She's got one of those faces. The first time in my life I think I've ever said her name out loud. <laughs> uh, she was from Dynasty, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, and most recognizably from Babylon 5. Uh, she was one of the captains in Babylon 5, and actually reading through her resume, which I did this weekend, uh, she was a she was like an Olympic athlete. Hmm. Her parents were both uh, like major athletes and both attorneys. Uh, she's from Galveston, Texas, went to Southwest Texas State University. Uh, she's a, she is a freaking athlete. I uh, would have never guessed that. That's awesome. Uh, additionally, they do have a lot of uh, anime representation as well. Christina V is one of their guests, probably best known as the voice of Sailor Mars in Sailor Moon. Uh, I know she's got a lot of other uh, anime on her resume. Eric Vale is uh, Trunks from the Dragon Ball universe. Uh, he's also in Full Metal Alchemist and One Piece, uh, My Hero Academia. He has a gigantic resume. If you get online and check it out, there's a couple other anime voices as well. You can find more on their entire lineup at siphacon.org. And if you want to jump straight to it, I think I had the page up earlier. I think it's like slash guests and groups. I can't remember exactly. But if you go to siphacon.org, here it is, siphacon.org slash celebrities. And you'll be able to see all of their 2020 media guests. And you can always check out their Facebook page too. Yeah, their Facebook page is actually uh, really uh, well done. They they stay up to date quite a bit. They do have an events page, too, and you know how Facebook works. Uh, if you want all of the updates and the alerts sent straight to you, it's probably better to be on their event page uh, than their just main page, as we talked about quite yep. extensively in the last podcast. And uh, even if you can't make the event because you're busy or working or whatever, give the page a like. Uh, you know, just support the event because they're good dudes. And just because you can't make it, maybe one of your friends can. Yeah. Uh, I'm always a big fan of that, too. I follow a lot of pages that I may not necessarily be going to their show. Uh, but just to help kind of mess with, not mess with, but to help help with the Facebook situation, I will click on stories from them. I will click share on their stories. Uh, I will interact with their page just to make sure... Uh, that that they're getting that engagement that we talked about in the last episode. By the way, I just remembered I forgot two major roles for Doug Jones. Uh, he was the fish man in The Shape of Water, oh, the big yeah. Academy Award winning film. Uh, and he was the gentleman in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No kidding. I did those are, not Those know are that. two gigantic roles that uh, you can't leave off Doug Jones's resume. But, I mean, to me, Abe Sapien is gigantic. Uh, I probably, I know Abe Sapien has pops out there. I, I'm a huge autograph pop collector now. Yes, you are. So I'm probably going to go find myself. A, I think the gentleman has one too. Uh, but I think I'm going to go get an Abe Sapien and Silver Surfer pop figure <laughs> and get those signed. Uh, it, I mean, if you're a pop figure collector, this is actually a really good show. I believe the Sailor Moon characters have pop figures. Uh, oh, so you I'm can sure get a Sailor Mars. Trunks, I know, has a pop figure. Uh, you'll be able to definitely get quite a few pop figures signed uh, at SyphaCon this year. All right. Did you put any thought into the greatest comic book movie soundtrack? Yes. 
Okay, do you want to go first, or do you want me to say the first thing that popped into my head and see if it's the same? Uh, let's go with your you going first, because I almost guarantee it mine's different. The first thing that popped into my head is The Crow. And I'm going to have to go back and actually pull up who was on The Crow soundtrack. Uh, Did you see what just got delivered? Sorry to interrupt, but uh, our... Uh, is that is that custom artwork? Yes, from our friend Rob Gilry, who uh, uh, does uh, Chew. He's worked on... Uh, he's got a brand new book, Farmhand. Uh, he's been worked on Thor, a bunch of stuff, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I He's cleaning out his uh, art collection, and, and I bought a page from the Thor annual that I am pretty pretty jacked up you about. You got the Thor one? Yeah. Do you already have the book, or do you have to go get the book that I, it's from now? I have three copies of the book. <laughs> well, I bought a, a clean copy that was semi-damaged just because I loved the cover and couldn't find it. Then I found a better copy, bought that. And then I found the copy signed by CM Punk, Jason Aaron, and uh, I forget the other lady that wrote the other story in the book. So I got one autographed by all the authors. So so you're going to be able to display that, the page, and so like, will you be able to display the page from the book and the autograph cover and the, the custom artwork? I, I'm sure I'm going to have to meet with a framer to figure out a way to do that, but that's the general idea. I'm actually pretty jealous right now. I and we should give this if this already hasn't been a giant plug for Rob Guillory. <laughs> uh but he he does have a website right now where he is trying to clean out everything. Um and if you get on there, make sure that you have money to spend before you get on there. Uh because it's going to be very difficult to walk away from that not buying anything. And they're reasonably priced too. I mean, yeah, normally when you're talking about like a custom page or something like that, like a you know, the original artwork from a comic book, you're talking five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars. I think the most expensive thing Rob's got's like two fifty. Uh yeah, that might be the most expensive. I'm trying to remember if I saw anything that was more expensive there than that. There might be a splash page or a cover. That's like way more expensive than that, but generally speaking, you're looking between 150 and 250. I think, which is one, a great price. I think the one that I found that I wanted was from a WWE comic book that he did. Oh yeah, you like the New Day Bray Wyatt Ric Flair page? Uh, I don't think it was Ric Flair. I think it was Kane that was mm. on the page. Uh, but it was like 125 bucks. Yeah, like it was really hard for me to not pull the trigger on that. It's not too late. Free shipping. <laughs> Okay, uh, going back to where we were before the, yes, the mail crow. delivery uh, interrupted us. Uh, so the Crow soundtrack had The Cure, Big Empty from Stone Temple Pilots, Nine Inch Nails, Rage Against the Machine, Violent Femmes, The Rollins Band, Milk Toast from Helmet, The Badge from Pantera. Uh, it had... Uh, Jesus and Mary Chain. There was a couple other things. Maybe this is broken up. Maybe there were movies that were in the song or uh, songs that were in the movie that didn't make the soundtrack. I think Pantera. Joy. Uh, there was a Nine Inch Nails cover. I mean, the the Crow soundtrack is number two on my list. Okay, uh, and it is absolutely incredible. Uh, any crack? Do you want to take a guess of what mine is before I go? I am going to assume that you are going with. Prince's album for the Batman movie. Eh. Okay. That that's top five, but not my number one. Um But it is a Batman movie. Ooh, is it Batman Returns? Batman Forever. 
Batman Forever, Seal Kissed by a Rose. Well, that's not the song that immediately comes to mind, but yes, that is that movie. Well, that was that was the big lead song. Well, and then there was U2's uh, Hold Me, Thrill, Thrill me, me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you had uh, Nick Cave. Uh, you had the Flamin' Mi- uh, Lips. You had Method Man, PJ Harvey, just a bunch of- The Offspring. The Offspring. Uh, was that the one with- the- No, Sunny Batman- Sunny Day Real Estate. Interesting, uh, Nate Mendel from Sunny Day Real Estate is now one, was one of the founding members, is currently in the Foo Fighters. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just an, in, an incredible, weird soundtrack that just, that and Spawn are my two I was favorite bring, soundtracks. I was going to bring up Spawn, um, because Spawn actually, when you look at this, and uh, the Crystal Method and Filter, Yep. Marilyn Manson and Sneaker Pimps, yep. uh, Kirk Hammett, from Metallica on here, Corn and the Dust Brothers, Butthole Surfers, and Moby, Metallica and DJ Spooky, Stabbing Westward. Henry Rollins as well. <laughs> uh, the Prodigy with Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine, Silverchair, yep. Incubus, Slayer. Um, I mean, that's the Spawn soundtrack, is, is it, phew, that's pretty hard to beat. Um, one of the other ones that, that, should get a little bit more, and I don't remember for sure if this is one of those. Uh, the music in the movie was better, and a lot of it didn't make it to the soundtrack. I am actually trying to figure out. Oh, it looks like a lot of the music did make the soundtrack. There are two versions of it, though. Uh, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Yes. Scott Pilgrim versus the World has a bunch of songs uh, that inside the movie the music in the movie scott pilgrim we could i could spend another hour this could be the longest we've ever done see see scott pilgrim versus the world is the best comic book movie of all time it's the best comic book movie of all time i'll let you have it and the the music in the movie makes the movie that good and when you take when you take the music out of it and stand it on its own. If you just released the and I and I don't know. If, I'm trying to remember back in the day. If I had the CD that was the deluxe, or if I had the CD that was the normal, but whichever one it was that I had, that itself could have been released as Scott Pilgrim the soundtrack just to accompany the graphic novels, and it would have been able to stand on its own. <laughs> I still will say, I will go back to it and say that the Crow's soundtrack was probably the best, but I love. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World in that soundtrack. Yeah, I got uh, uh, Batman Forever, uh, The Crow, Spawn, uh, oddly enough, the Judge Dredd soundtrack. Which Judge Dredd, though? The uh, first one. had The 90s one? Yes. While the movie was god-awful, it should have been awesome, but it was god-awful. The soundtrack was incredible. And and then I got Scott Pilgrim on that list, oddly enough. Uh, I will, if I had to have a top five, I'm probably putting the Batman soundtrack on there strictly for Bat Dance. Um, Oh, yeah. You know what? I take back my stance. Scott Pilgrim gets bumped to number six. Well, Scott Pilgrim's got to be like number two. Six on mine. Okay. Uh, The original Batman's got to be number five. Got to be. I'm sure if we actually sat down and went through this, we're probably missing something very obvious. Uh, there's probably some comic book movie that had this killer soundtrack that we're just completely... Well, the first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire had a pretty incredible soundtrack. I'm trying to remember if there's anything that's super obvious that we're missing. Um, and of course, we're talking about soundtracks and not scores, which I think is where I'm kind of getting mixed up with Scott Pilgrim. I think they added some of the score material to the 
the deluxe version, which is what made it really good. Mm. Uh, okay, so I just pulled up a random list. This one's telling me that the Deadpool soundtrack was awesome. Really? I, I would, don't remember. I would, I would put uh, 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 Guardians of the Galaxy above that. That might be the obvious one that we're missing. Guardians of the Galaxy. Because uh, what was it? Uh, it was the... Well, you had uh, the... Uh, the awesome mix. Volume 1 and 2. Uh, this one's telling me that uh, Barbed Wire also had a great soundtrack. Jesus, I haven't seen that movie in 20 years. Tank Girl, and I'm just looking at what they have here. Veruca Salt, Hole, Bjork, Ice-T, Bush, Devo, Joan Jett. Tank Girl, we might be sleeping on that one. We might have to go look at it. Uh, the John Williams score to Superman. Superman, Superman. I I guess when I think of the original Superman, I don't think of music as much as just the the orchestra. Well, that's what they're saying, the John Williams yeah. orchestra to... But I don't know if that's better than anything Danny Elfman ever did on a Batman movie. I don't know if that counts, though, because we're talking about soundtracks or not. Well, I mean, even if it did count, a Danny Elfman is probably the premier score guy, not whatever his face is from the Superman movies. Now, uh, you mean from Star Wars, from freaking... Star Wars. Well, Batman the Animated Series, the Batman movies. I mean, that guy's accomplished a lot. All right, this one also said, uh, and actually, wow. <laughs> wow, hold on now. We may, be, we may be combining all of everything that we just said that we enjoyed about all of these soundtracks into one soundtrack that when I think of this movie, the music and the soundtrack is probably the last thing that I think of. Ooh, now you got me intrigued. I'll even give you the year. 2009. The Punisher? Let me start throwing out some of the... the <laughs> what, 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 I'm trying to think of what here, happened in Here are the artists. My Chemical Romance, Nat King Cole, Bob Dylan, Simon and Garfunkel, Janis Joplin, Casey and the Sunshine Band, Billie Holiday, Leonard Cohen, Jimi Hendrix... Budapest Symphony Orchestra, Philip Glass. Yes, it's The Watchmen. Yeah, I completely forgot about that one because there's so what? much. It's such an intense movie that the music is is a big part of it, but it's not like so much in your face that it, it sticks out, which is, you know, as much as people like to crap on Zack Snyder, uh, he did an incredible job with that movie. So... Uh, this also is even missing some of the things that were left off. Uh, things that were used in the movie and the trailer include the beginning is the end is the beginning from the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, uh, Take a bow from Muse. Fun uh, fact about the Smashing Pumpkins movie. Do you know what superhero movie that was used in first? Batman and Robin. Yep. Uh, Bombshell from Power Man 5000. Uh, was used in bonuses, but not included in the original. Oh, it was, it, it was included in bonus versions of the soundtrack, uh, but not included in the original soundtrack. Ah. That, to me, is an amazing soundtrack. That's going in my top five. All right, we spent more time on this than I thought we would. See? Told you. There you go, Jeff. We finally talked about it because I remembered. <laughs> 
All right, uh, that's gonna wrap it up for us. Yeah, let's put a bow on this. I got the, uh, I got a. Uh, uh, you some got artwork some to artwork get. to go open up. Uh, all right, ooh, so ooh, ooh, ooh. before we go, we've had some guest announcements since the last time we were on there. That's air. that's one of the things that I was trying to uh, trying to remember to get to. Let me see if I can pull all of them up because again, I don't want to. Um, well, let's start with the ones that are fresh in our brain. Right, and there. See, the thing is that we have ones that aren't solidified, ones that are announced, ones that won't be announced by the time this airs. Uh, so I'm trying to make sure that I have them on. Okay, here we go. Uh, a couple of our good friends who we've seen before, and I'm excited to see again. Comic book artist John Lucas will be returning this year. Love that guy. Uh, he's done a lot of work in Deadpool. He's also done work with Batman, The Punisher, X-Men, Superman, Daredevil, The Fantastic Four, and more. He's literally worked on everything. Pretty much. Another guy who's got a wide-ranging resume and has been to GeekCon multiple times. We're excited to have Louisiana native Roland Paris back again. Every year but one. Yes, he has uh, done every year except for 2015, I believe. Yeah, that sounds about right. So he's uh, he's running a pretty good streak right now. Uh, you can find his work in the pages of Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel, The Avengers, Spider-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, She-Hulk, Black Panther, Daredevil. Uh, throw a dart at a Marvel comic book, and there's a good chance you can find an issue with Roland Paris's name on it. That is factually accurate. Uh, and we're also excited for a first-time GeekCon guest, comic book artist Tim Laddie, uh, who is coming to us from New Orleans. Mm. Uh, he is best known for his work on IDW's Ghostbusters series. He's also worked on the WWE comic books as well as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and a ton of other stuff, uh, whether it's Boom or IDW or Dark Horse. Uh, he's worked on G.I. Joe, Plants vs. Zombies, and everything that we talked about there. Uh, I'm excited to see Tim. I really want some Ghostbusters art, especially <laughs> with the new movie coming out this summer. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to get some Ghostbusters stuff, uh, this is probably a good time to do it because it's going to be hot by the time the summer rolls around. Very, very excited about the comic book offerings that we will have at GeekCon 2020. And there may be an addition or two. Yes, which is why I really wanted to pull those up because we're talking to some other folks and I want to make sure that we don't say something. Well, that we literally have a hanging chad where it could <laughs> drop at any moment for us to announce. Hanging chad? What is this, the year 2001? Yeah, I, I know. Up-to-date references it's a here. very boys. topical reference. Uh, okay, go ahead and please throw us a like and a subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. Uh, we're looking to... We're not uh, going to mention Mean Girls? Sure, let's mention Mean Girls. Because that's so fetch. Uh, we, at some point during the day in which this is uploaded, we are making a couple of announcements that uh, relate to the movie Mean Girls. Uh, the two male leads in the movie. Yes. Um, the guy who plays Aaron Samuels, Jonathan Bennett, who is also known now as the host of Halloween Wars on the Food Network and I was the host of Cake Wars. I, when you started going down his resume, I was shocked because I've seen him in things and like my brain just didn't connect him from being the kid from Mean Girls to being the guy from Cake Wars in this movie or a TV show. Like he's done a bunch of stuff. Yes. Uh, it, in movies, he's actually done uh, a lot of the Hallmark holiday movies. Mm -hmm. And he was also Van Wilder in the Van Wilder freshman year sequel movie 
Which is one of the good ones. It's not Rise of Taj, which uh, <laughs> kind of ruins all those Van Wilder movies. But uh, if you do watch one, this one's not a bad one. He was in Smallville. He was Bo Dukes in the TV movie The Dukes of Hazard: The Beginning. He was in Boston Public, Law and Order SVU. Uh, I, did I say Veronica Mars or Smallville? I think I said one of those two. You said Smallville, not Veronica Mars, which is, I know, a big damn deal for a lot of people. And he was recently in Supergirl and appeared as a contestant in uh, season two of Celebrity Big Brother. He will also be appearing in RuPaul's Drag Race. Is he a host or an actual participant? I believe he is a uh, he is a guest judge. Uh, in so this we're not going to see him season. in high heels or no. Uh, but he will be a judge in the uh, upcoming season. Aaron Samuels from Mean Girls, Jonathan Bennett. And we're also, uh, at some point during the day in which this is uploaded, announcing that Daniel Franzese, who is Damien from Mean Girls, uh, will also be coming to GeekCon this year. Uh, fun fact about him, I did not realize this until like almost uh, today, that he uh, was in the I Spit on Your Grave remake, which was filmed, filmed right here, here in, in Shreveport. Shreveport. Yes, uh, he also was in, of course, Mean Girls. He was in the movie Party Monster, which was... Uh, Macaulay Culkin? Is that uh, that yes. movie? Yeah. Uh, that was intense. <laughs> uh, he's done a handful of other films, including uh, films and TV show, including Burn Notice and Electric City uh, and Recovery Road and Conviction. He will also be appearing uh, in this upcoming season of RuPaul's Drag Race. So... Both of our guests from Mean Girls will be appearing as guest judges on RuPaul's Drag Race this year. I feel like you're telling me that for... for did I miss an announcement? Did we book RuPaul too? No. Oh. Uh, I actually just... Uh, the other night, I don't remember what I was watching, but it was something on one of the networks that's associated with the network that RuPaul's Drag Race is on. And so a commercial comes on for it, and they're teasing the upcoming guest judges. This is going to be a huge year for the guest judges. Jeff Goldblum is a guest what? judge. Uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is going to be a guest judge. Uh, they, like, there's a whole bunch of just random, giant celebrity yeah. guest judges, and they pop up Jonathan Bennett and Daniel Franzese. And I'm like, hang on a second. I know those guys. I, I know those guys for a specific reason right now. Uh, so it will be a big year uh, for millennial women. This might be the greatest geek con ever. And we're not done. We're not done. We've already announced Peter Fascinelli, who is in the no. Twilight film series as uh, Carlisle. Can't hardly wait. And can't hardly wait. But it's, I'm, I'm making a point about the millennial girls right now. So we've got the dad from Twilight and the two guys from Mean Girls. As far as millennial women goes, there's no reason to not come to our show this year. Uh, I'd say that's a fair assessment. All right. Now can I talk about subscribing and leaving good comments and ratings on our podcast? Yeah. Talk about it. Okay. Wherever you download this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. Uh, leave us a five-star review. Give us a thumbs up. I don't know what all of the platforms have. I'm they sure. all have some sort of rating system, so do it. Please give us the best that you can, and let's uh, help this thing keep growing, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. You want to say anything random and stupid at the end? Download the app, damn it. No, uh, say something. Talk about uh, Alex Jones. Infowars.com. Infowars.com.